Hello and welcome to Searching for the Question Live. My name is David Orban and I am very glad to have you all following the show on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, where we are streaming. Um, this means that you can ask questions or make comments and if relevant, I will be very happy to bring them in the show so that uh, together with my guests, we can comment and we can answer. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the channel, of course, on YouTube and be alerted when we will go live next as you subscribe and turn on the bell icon. You uh, can also join our Discord server uh, where we are continuing the conversation on the various uh, themes that uh, we are touching upon. Uh, and the address of the server, if I find uh, the uh, URL that I need to display, there you go, is davidorban.com slash discord. And if you find the content that I create uh, valuable, uh, you uh, can become a supporter on patreon.com slash davidorban. Today we are going to talk about the effectiveness of marketing and communications. Um, many people recognize how powerful our messaging is, but those who are not professionals in the field have a hard time distinguishing uh, techniques and, and reasons why this can be deeply true from superficial uh, lessons uh, that uh, that you pick up uh, in a five minute uh, or or even five hour online course, techniques that may be valid uh, today tied to some of the latest platforms, uh, where you become suddenly the biggest TikTok influencer, maybe, but don't have staying power. Instead, uh, as we discuss and converse with our guest uh, today, uh, there are many more substantial reasons why the profession and the services of marketing and communications really matter and can make a big difference in the success of a product. Well, which product? Every product, but why not the uh, iconic Macintosh? Because uh, Andy uh, Cunningham, who is uh, here with us uh, today on Searching for the Question Live, was part of the team instrumental in launching Macintosh and making it the success that uh, still is and uh, bringing uh, Apple uh, and Steve Jobs uh, to the very well-deserved uh, uh, position in, in our memories with regards to Steve, who passed away, but uh, very much still with us in the products uh, that Apple is uh, still uh, producing with uh, incredible success on a, on a worldwide level. Andy, welcome uh, to Searching for the Question Live. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. I like to start uh, with, with my guests, uh, asking them how they are and, and where are, are they in this crazy world? Uh, and how are they coping uh, with uh, what is happening with the pandemic? So where are you, Andy, and, and how are you coping? So uh, I am in a little town called Alpine in Wyoming, just outside of Jackson Hole. Okay, so why don't I share my screen 
and uh, let's go there um you are seeing bergamo which is in uh, the north of italy and uh, if we go to um jackson hole wyoming that is on Long the other side away. of the world in the middle of uh, some uh, very nice uh, mountains yes the grand tetons are here they're beautiful all right do you do you go skiing uh, I'm not a big skier anymore because I blew out my knee a year ago. But I, uh, but it was Welcome great. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is what that is what happens uh, until we all decide that titanium is so much better anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so far I just have the old equipment. It doesn't work as well. <laughs> uh, and uh, and. Um, is this is this a place where you regularly go or this is your residence rather than the bay area as uh, uh, maybe in the past yeah no i live in sausalito california just on the other side of the golden gate bridge from san francisco this is a second home for us which we are about to build so i'm sitting here in a hangar uh, my husband's a pilot and we have a couple of uh, of little airplanes and so we flew here uh, two days ago from sausalito took three hours and 10 minutes in our little bonanza. David, do you mind if I show the airplane? Can I? Oh, no, please. Okay. So you can probably see there's the airplane and you can see the mountains in the background. Oh, wonderful. So, so I am in, uh, I'm in our hangar, which is, is being built. So. Ah, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, <laughs> thank you for, for sharing that. Sure. And, and, and do you have a pilot license as well? No, uh, sadly, I uh, I should, but I don't. My husband's been flying since he was 14 years old. He started uh, with gliders when he was 14 and then moved into engine airplanes and all kinds of stuff. So he flies all the time. And my kids are both pilots, which is great. But I'm uh, nice. I'm just a, I'm an enabler. <laughs> uh, well, and, and uh, I don't have a license, but uh, I love uh, flying and... Uh, and uh, it is it is really uh, beautiful to be able to hop uh, over like oh, you did uh, so nice. from one place to another it it is really a, a beautiful uh, uh, degree of freedom that we all gain uh, through through those wonderful machines yeah they are pretty cool <laughs> and, and 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 how is uh, how is life uh, where you are are people sheltering or not very much are masks uh, being used or not how is it you know, here in Wyoming, I think there may be, there are fewer than five cases in this whole county that I'm in right now. So there's, there's a, there was a shelter in place order for a while, but I went out to dinner last night and the restaurant, there was no masks, no, no social distancing, tables close to each other, people at the bar. It was crazy. <laughs> I haven't seen that since March 15th. So it was yeah, amazing. And, and, and our psychology, it, it reconfigures itself so rapidly that when you see a scene like that, you recoil and you yeah. say like, wow, how is that even what's, possible? Yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah I yeah. don't know. It's it's going to be very interesting to see the country open up. And I know some places are spiking again with uh, with COVID. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It's very interesting. Emiliano, Emiliano from Twitter uh, chimes in saying, that's the craziest streaming setup I have, I've ever seen. And he adds a nice uh, airplane uh, emoji. <laughs> Well, I'm glad he likes the airplane. <laughs> yes, yeah, that we are uh, we're fly we all we fly all over the place. So this is an airport community that we have here. So literally, you land at the airport right here, the runway, and then you taxi into your hangar, which is attached to your house. So uh, it's wow. quite cool. 
as well as you'd better like the 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 noise of the engines yes that's there is there's a bit more noise here than in in a golf community <laughs> that's right um so let's let's jump uh, um to the to the beginning um did you know you wanted to do marketing and communications uh, right from the start uh, not, I didn't know it was going to be marketing communications, but I knew I wanted to write. So I really, really loved writing as a, even as a kid and, and just got really into it. And I ended up working for a magazine was my first job. I actually wrote about truck maintenance. If you can, what an exciting topic, huh? <laughs> uh, but uh, so I had that job, but then it, it really didn't pay very well. And I really didn't like writing about trucks. So I looked around for another job and I ended up getting recruited by a public relations agency called Burson Marsteller. And I took a job there and I had the most amazing experience working in their technology group. And this was in the early 80s. And I got to launch the Asteroids video game from Atari, believe it or not, which was really wow. fun. Um, and that just got me hooked. And then I did other do, you, do you mean the, the, uh, the cartridge version with the Atari? The cartridge version, oh. right. So yes. you don't mean the coin-op? Not the coin-op, the cartridge version that people put, uh, you know, in their in their living rooms and uh, very, very early stuff, uh, you know, black screen, white asteroid. Oh, yeah. Everybody I, I, got asteroid thumb, we called it. <laughs> so uh, it uh, and, and um, you know, um, it, is, it is very nice because there are two reasons why um, those games are still making an impact. Uh, and one of them is that um, kids, today still like uh, to um, uh, play those games uh, in an emulator mm -hmm. and and it is possible to to do that in many different ways and uh, and then uh, it is uh, really a, a different experience uh, this is the game that's, it. that's the one I haven't <laughs> seen that game in years that's so cool I used that's to play right. We ran a national contest here in the United States uh, for kids, essentially, to uh, to see who would win. And there was a, a young man who was, I think, 13 or 14 at the time he won. His name was Andy Breyer, and he was he was just an amazing asteroids player. And he won a big prize, and he was very proud. And the local news came out and did a big story on him, and it was really fun. <laughs> and and the second reason why these games are also played uh, today is because AIs are playing them. Artificial right. intelligence training grounds are these games, including ah. Breakout, which yes. is another uh, iconic uh, Atari game. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the physical world is very messy and we, we don't have robots that are right. still um, far, smart and flexible enough to navigate the physical world, but the digital worlds can be completely controlled and for the AI engines, make no difference. You know, they don't care. Right, and they Physical, get to learn. Digital, same thing. They just want to have fun. Yeah, so that's, that's how everybody, everybody learns how to play it on a computer with a video game. I mean, it's how it all starts, including AI. Well, uh, so I don't know whether my grandchildren will learn to walk uh, through a computer game or they will resort <laughs> to learning to walk in the physical world, but uh, uh, it, it is going to be certainly certainly interesting. So uh, after uh, Burson uh, Marsteller, uh, where did you go? 
That, that's when I uh, ended up in Silicon Valley. So what happened was, uh, just briefly, a, a fellow that worked at Burson Marsteller uh, and I, who had, he was a writer there, and he and I became friends. He uh, ended up deciding to take a job uh, at Burson Marsteller in Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley opened up an office in Santa Clara uh, back in probably, it was probably 1982 that that happened. And, uh, and he kept begging me to please come out to Silicon Valley and take a job there. And so I flew out and uh, met with the team there. And I decided to take the opportunity to meet with other agencies while I was in California. So I went and I met with an agency called Regis McKenna. And that actually is a person's name, Regis McKenna. And he was a, he is a legend in Silicon Valley. And believe it or not, on the spot, he offered me the job to run the Apple account to launch the Macintosh. So oh, I did. Oh, come on. I, I kid you not. I don't know why you, he did that. I think he you, thought you, I would You are charming. Launch. You are charming. But uh, that was still a leap of faith, wasn't it, it? It was a leap of faith. And I was quite young. I was 26 years old. So I was, uh, I was a kid. And I had done a couple of years of PR and a couple of years of writing. But, but um, needless to say, I had not. you realize how big that. a deal it was? Yes, that's why I told Bursa Marsteller, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take this job at Regis McKenna because, <laughs> because I get to launch the Macintosh, which is amazing. So yes, that's Regis. He, and he, is, he was my mentor. He's a wonderful man. He's still alive. I just saw him recently. I also do a podcast. It's called Marketing Over Ice, and I haven't aired his episode yet, but um, he, is, he is just a wonderfully intuitive guy. And there he is with, Regis, or with Steve Jobs. He was a lot... He kind of played a father figure to Steve, so uh, so he huh. I think knew Steve really well and thought that I would get along well with Steve, which turned out to be the case. I did get along very well with Steve, so uh, you, so I ended you did up, too? yeah yeah. So I I mean you know as good as anybody can get along with Steve Jobs. That's but, right. That's yeah. right. Because the next question was what did you do doing the outbursts? You just nothing. You did nothing. That was the trick I would guess. Just let it let it happen. Yes, you just have to have a very thick skin. But here's the thing with Steve. If you could add value to him in any way, he kept you on the team. So so mm -hmm. you're constantly adding value. And I came I came to think of a, a little mantra that I still use with my company today. I call a miracle a week is all we ask. <laughs> and that <laughs> and that is kind of how Steve ran things. It was like if you weren't performing a miracle just about every five days or so, you know, you were not valuable to the team. So you had to learn how to speak your voice. And this was really interesting as a young woman in Silicon Valley, which by the way, back in those early days was not the bro culture that it turned into later on. It was not that way early on. So, so the, um, the, 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 the trajectory went from decent to impossible yeah. and now hopefully it's gonna get decent. Hopefully it's getting, going back, yeah. But I, I will say that, that the culture was, ex especially at Apple, was extremely open to people of all kinds. You could be any age, any gender, any sexual preference, any color. None of that mattered to Steve. All, the only thing that mattered to Steve is could you make him him better? Could you make what he was trying to do better? And if you could, it didn't matter. You could have been a Martian. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, so so uh, um, how, how, how much time did you have to wrap your head around uh, Macintosh, which was revolutionary at the time, before uh, the launch actually happened. And uh, uh, what uh, did you do in order to to be up there, meeting the uh, the expectations of founder Steve Jobs and 
and uh, what uh, what was the secret sauce that you added to it? Well, I, I uh, so I ran the public relations part of it, which was the, the the messaging. We did the messaging. We did all the writing. We did all of the press materials. We did all the relationships with the press. We did the actual launch that happened on January twenty fourth, nineteen eighty four. And uh, and I didn't. I only had about seven months before the launch. I landed in California, and then seven months later, the launch happened. So literally, I dove in. I was working very. There was one other woman at Regis McKenna who was a little bit younger than me, and she uh, she was the only person on the account when I first got there. And uh, and she and I just became like a dual, like a partnership. We were like joined at the hip. Her name was Jane Anderson. She was awesome. She is awesome. And uh, and basically, we we wrote a launch plan. So we sat down, and in the first month, we wrote a launch plan, and we went and presented. Regis didn't want to see it. He felt, I guess, he felt confident that it was going to be okay. We went and presented it to the head of marketing at the time, a man named Mike Murray, who was a great guy. We presented it just the two of us. We had no idea how much it would cost to do this, and no idea how many people it would take to do it. But we presented a budget of a half a million dollars for the next six months. And uh, and his response to us was, "How much more do you need?" <laughs> so we basically got to do exactly what we wanted to do. And what we did is we took we chose a hundred journalists and influencers. So we we picked a hundred people, and we gave each one of those hundred people a full day at Apple alone by themselves with the entire Apple team. So they had a an hour with Steve Jobs. They had an hour with John Scully, who was the CEO. They had an hour with the Macintosh development team. With the factory people, uh, they had a, they basically had eight hours at in Cupertino at Apple headquarters, and there were a hundred days of that. Uh, so we did we we got all of those. Rolling Stone ended up with one of the most amazing cover stories. We wound up with I don't know six or seven different cover stories as a result of that work, uh, and it was an incredibly successful launch. It was uh, we were everywhere. Uh, the messaging that we had developed was everywhere. The picture of the Mac was everywhere. Steve was everywhere. It was quite an experience. <laughs> and 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 how was it to to coordinate with the other teams? Because of course, uh, PR focuses on uh, the um, uh, let's say that that your channel is represented by journalists uh, and influencers who are, of course, uh, a, a difficult and complicated uh, uh, herd of cats to, to try to shepherd. Uh, and then you have to make sure that uh, everything forms a coherent whole with the rest of the marketing efforts, like, for example, uh, advertising or, or branding and, and uh, uh, the collateral and, and packaging and all the other uh, things that, that uh, go about it. So. Uh, how how did you achieve? Because for for me at least, Apple uh, uh, the Apple brand strongly represents uh, co consistency and coherence, right? So so I I did all through the years perceive uh, that uh, the different parts of the organization would work together, uh, but of course that is just from the outside from the inside it must be sometimes much more complicated than that yeah so let, let me address that on two fronts there's a structural thing that was going on at apple that helped that and then secondly there there was this the overarching strategy so i'll just start with the strategy because that's the easy part um macintosh is a cult it always has been 
and it still is. I, I think that Tim Cook has lost a little bit of the cultness of it because it's so big and so successful now. But literally, the idea. Emiliano, Emiliano actually says that uh, according to him, uh, Apple is not a products company anymore. Cook is more services oriented. Excellent point. Excellent point. So he's Cook is also not a visionary and not a what I call a missionary in my my language. He he is he is a person who is an amazing steward of the assets that he was left. Absolutely no question about that. He's turned that company into, you know, one of the world's most valuable companies. But uh, but the product vision and the next big thingness is completely gone out of Apple, which is unfortunate, but it had a pretty good run, you have to say. So, so the, the strategy was from Steve on down was to build a computer that was so easy to use that it would be what he called the computer for the rest of us. All of this business with doing Microsoft, you know, control, alt, delete and all that, he, he hated that. So he was trying to build a computer that, that a regular person would use. And that's what that ad is about. That ad is about uh, that 1984 ad you threw up before, which by the way, I think is still known as one of the very best ads ever, ever, ever. And we only paid to air that thing one time at the Super Bowl in January of 1984. Um, it was aired hundreds and hundreds of times on the media, which is what my, what my team did. So really the value that Apple got out of that multi-million dollar ad directed by Ridley Scott uh, was pretty pretty phenomenal. But all those people you see marching down those halls, those are IBM drones. They're meant to be IBM drones, people who work at IBM or use IBM products. He wanted to position them as drones. And this woman, and by the way, another amazing thing that, that she's a woman <laughs> uh, wielding the sledgehammer is going to burst through all of those uh, those drones and show them a new way, a better way of doing computing. And that is uh, legendary. This ad is legendary. Oh, it definitely, it definitely is. Um, so, so uh, was there any point where you were afraid that during this hundred-day uh, process, the embargo would be broken and there would be a leak, uh, and and that would, uh, you know, uh, in in turn influence others that felt slighted by by the fact that you. You, you couldn't control uh, the message. It, it must have been a, an especially long period to, to keep the tension. Well, I have to say that back, first of all, there was no internet back then. So it was a lot easier to keep control over information. And we signed non-disclosures with every one of those hundred people. Um, it didn't bother us at all, though, if one of them or two of them kind of came out and said, oh my gosh, this thing coming from Apple is just amazing. That, that was okay, that was a good thing. Uh, but they couldn't release the the details and the pictures and that sort of thing. In fact, I had one on my desk at Regis McKenna, and we had to keep it covered in a black tarp because Steve uh -huh. didn't want anybody else to see it other than the people who were working on the team. So keeping control of the information back then was a little easier. We had amazing relationships with those those press people, uh, and and it was just it was not that hard to do. And and. Uh at the time, Apple was absolutely the underdog, uh, and 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 after that, very hard times came. Um, Microsoft actually saved Apple with twenty million dollars because it was running the risk of going bankrupt, uh, and yeah. then all the uh, the shares uh, a few years later agreed to port uh, uh, its uh, uh, products to to Macintosh. Steve left uh, or or was uh, kicked out of the company by the board. Uh, and then famously was brought back uh, because Apple couldn't exist yes. without him. 
at the time at least um and 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 uh, were you following the the account uh, for yeah for oh, long yes. time or? so i worked i worked with steve at apple for two years right up until the time he got fired and when he got fired i decided to start my own agency because it was a good time because i i know this sounds weird but i was on the wrong side of the political equation because i was i was on the steve jobs side and there was a big political battle there i by the way i was friendly with john scully and i love john and he was very friendly with me but politically i was just on the wrong side so mm -hmm. i said this is a good time for me to start my own firm regis was really open to that and uh, let me use the office at night and so he was great and i started my own agency and literally 10 days into starting my own firm i got a call from steve uh, asking me if i could help him with a press conference that he was about to do that morning about an hour later <laughs> in the backyard of his home in woodside california and uh and so i drove over there and i and i had there were 50 or so business press people walking around his backyard we're talking fortune forbes the wall street journal Herb Kane from the, the the Chronicle here in San Francisco, uh, just everybody who was anybody in the business press. He had, had Steve had called and said, "Please come to my house. I'm doing a press conference today." So I'm I'm gonna get my way in there. I walk into the house and and Steve is sitting on the floor with seven other people who who were were Apple employees, and he looks up at me and he says, "I'm gonna do a press conference. Can you help me?" And I said, uh, what are you going to announce? <laughs> and he said, I'm going to announce that I'm starting a new company. It's going to be called Next. And I'm taking these seven people with me. Oh, and I'm also going to talk about what a jerk John Scully is. Uh, and I, I just looked at him with my eyes like, ah. <laughs> and his, uh, his lawyer was sitting there next to him on the floor, as well as these seven people from Apple. And the lawyer said nothing to him. And I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? He's not my client right now. I don't, I, I'm doing this as a friend. I might as well just tell him what I think. So I said, Steve, you know, this is a really bad time to do a press conference. You really don't have anything to announce. You cannot possibly say those kinds of things about Apple and John Scully. That would be career ruining. Uh, you're not even totally exited from Apple yet. You're stealing seven people who aren't exited yet. Uh, it's like, why don't you just wait on this press conference till you actually have something to announce? And so he sat there very quiet because when he told Steve something he didn't like, he, he didn't like it, but he sat there quietly for about a minute. Then he looked up at me and he said, okay, I won't do it, but you have to go out there and get rid of everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> without so without I, offending them or without pissing them without off too much. So of course I knew them all. So I went out there and I said, hey guys, this is what happened. I just was incredibly honest. I said, look, this is what happened. Steve, you know, as you all know, Steve was kind of kicked out of Apple. He wants to start a new thing. He's super excited about it. Um, he's also a little bit defensive and a little bit emotional and he's got nothing to announce right now. So we'll keep in touch with you. And as soon as he does, we will do something. So they, they groaned and moaned. <laughs> well, but anyway, they left, they left and, and then we did announce the company later. So I worked with Steve for about another three years after that. So, so, oh, so, oh, so, yeah. so you, you, you got, uh, you got the next uh, account with your new company, right? Yes, that's right. I did. Yep. And, but I will say that Steve, you know, Steve is a very emotional guy and he fired me about five times over the course of the next three years that I was working with him with Nick. So he'd get up mad at something, he'd fire me. Then a couple of weeks would go by and he'd hire me back again. So that's how that went until and, and, until you, and you had uh, thick enough uh, skin uh, to to say all right this is just part of uh, the the privilege of working with him yeah. and you took it 
Yep. Yes. I, I mean, I'll tell you another another little Steve story about about that. So when he fired me the first time, I did not think he would ever hire me again. Right. And he owed me about forty thousand dollars. And by the way, back then, forty thousand dollars with my little company, which was just a startup. That was a big deal. It would have meant that I, I could have I'd have to lay everybody off because I couldn't make payroll. So I'm, I got home and I called up my old mentor, Regis, and I said, Regis, this is what happened. Steve fired me. And uh, and he won't pay me the forty thousand. He tells me that everything I did was, you know, bad, and he's not going to pay me. And Regis said, "Hmm, if you're going to work with Steve Jobs like that, you have to have something over him. Otherwise, you'll never you'll never uh, you know prevail." And I said, "Well, what in the world do I have over Steve Jobs? Even though I had already worked with him for over two years, three years at that point." He said, "You have one thing, and that is your relationships with the business press." And I went, "Oh my God, I get it, I get it." So what I did is I got the CFO at Next to uh, set up a meeting for me with Steve to, to talk about the $40,000, which he agreed to take that meeting. I went over there and she was sitting next to him, the CFO, and, and he was there and I was there. And I said, Steve, um, you owe me $40,000 and I understand you weren't happy with the work, but it was, it was exactly what you asked me to do. And I feel it was good work. And I really need that money because I'm a startup company and I, I need that $40,000. And he basically said, I'm not going to pay you. I'm just, he said, I'm not going to pay you. And I said, Steve, you know what? Right now, since you've been gone from Apple, I get about 30, maybe 40 calls from business press people every single week. And do you know what I currently tell them? Very nice things. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and then he got up, went to the back room, picked up a check, came out and wrote it to me and uh, rehired me again. Wow. So, yeah. So in other words, if I, if I had, uh, you know, I had the power of the press over him, which is a very powerful thing. Huh. <laughs> uh, Emiliano is asking if uh, you appear in any of the movies, uh, uh, shepherding uh, Steve yes. around. I am in. I am in one of the movies. So the latest, the last one, the one that Aaron uh, Sorkin did, it's called uh -huh. Steve Jobs. I uh, yeah. there's a character in there who plays me. She's played by an actress named um, Sarah Snook. And uh, she's the one, it's not a big role, but it is a consistent role. And it, she wears the headset all the time. And she's in many of the scenes and she is referred to often in the movie as the other Andy. So the Steve character will say, I, give me Andy in here right away. And uh, everybody would say, which Andy? So there's Andy, the communications person, that was me. And there's Andy, the software person. And that was Andy Hertzfeld. And so there was always this thing about which Andy do you want to talk to in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I, I have a clip. I don't know if uh, I got it right uh, so quickly, um, but uh, we, we may find. Uh, ah, you uh, might. Yeah, you, you, that's. I don't yes. know if this is you. That's Andy Hertzfeld, uh, and that's the Steve character, and that would be Joanna Hoffman, her character there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're going to see uh, me there. I mean, I definitely a minor character in the. There I am. That's me right there. Okay, when, with, the with the ponytail, with the ponytail. Okay, so there you go. Steve. This is the famous moment when Steve says to me, "I want all the exit lights turned off in this theater when we do this launch." Which is <laughs> illegal, right? Yeah, and and she says like, uh, "We can't. That's illegal. We can't turn <laughs> off all the lights." But uh, he wanted. I mean, we. I think we made it happen. I actually don't even remember. I I made so many miracles happen for him. It was unbelievable. So. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that was me. <laughs> okay, there you go, there you go. Thank you, Emiliano. Uh, he is asking great questions. Yeah, that's a great question. 
um, so um, uh, these were uh, incredible opportunities and experiences that uh, uh, both uh, formed you as well as gave you a chance of delivering concrete value to your to your clients. Uh, so as you learned more and more and, and developed more and more experience, what are your takeaways in terms of, of why marketing is powerful and what type of, of, of communications and, and PR really works? Sure. So I, I, I have to start with a, a concept called positioning, which is what my book is about. It's a book called Get to Aha. And it's all about positioning. And that is the magic of marketing. It's positioning. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, not only do I know this because I've been practicing positioning and I developed this framework over the last several years to, to do it, but I learned this early on with the Macintosh because the reason Steve got fired from Apple is because he mispositioned the product. <laughs> he positioned that product as a computer for business. That's why he was trying to fight the IBM battle. Like, I want to be on the desktop. I want IBM and Microsoft computers off the desktop. And uh, and it was not a business computer. It should have been more of a what at back in those days when we would call a personal computer or a home computer. Uh, but he was trying to position it as business business computer, and it didn't have any of the functionality that a business computer needed. Couldn't print, couldn't network, didn't even have cursor keys when we first launched it. So it was not a business computer, and that is the reason he got fired from Apple because sales tanked. Even though the launch was amazing and people still remember it to this day, the sales were terrible. And he couldn't get the sales up. In fact, this is in that movie. This, uh, and that is why he got fired, because, app, because Macintosh was a failure. It wasn't until Steve realized the magic of the cult when he came back. And then he tapped into that cult idea and was able to, to reignite the entire Macintosh. So, so uh, positioning is the key where you must start in order to build everything else around it. Uh, and if you get positioning wrong, that will make everything else a struggle. Exactly. Positioning is is knowing your your spot on the map, if you will. Like you showed that Google Earth thing, that was a location. But things and uh, and companies and products also have a spot on the map, and they have to have their own spot on the map. They can't be. You can't go onto a spot where there are four or five other things. You have to find a differentiated position and be able to answer two very simple questions about your company or your product. Who are you, and why do you matter? And if you can answer those two things you will have figured out what your position is. So the book is about a framework, a series of steps to go through to figure out how to answer those questions. Who are you and why do you matter? And, and, and that is wonderful because uh, a lot of people struggle with, uh, with those questions, both personally as well as professionally. So, yeah. so to have uh, uh, um, something like what you wrote, uh, uh, people first realize that that it can be an issue and an important thing to to concentrate on and then to guide them to focus and maybe to articulate something that they weren't able to do on uh, by by themselves that is that is just very very valuable and you can all, and you can get it just for 1759 you can get it for 17.59 <laughs> it's probably even cheaper on amazon oh that is amazon okay that's, that's so yes amazon. Uh, but, but yes uh, it's a 15, 12 on Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
and the audio version has me uh, reading it. So. Oh, you are reading it. Wonderful. I am, I am actually uh, planning to read uh, my book. I, I, I wrote a book uh, uh, on AI a, a few years ah. ago. And uh, and it is available in uh, in a few languages, and I'm planning to read it in all languages. Oh, that's, that's, you should definitely do that. It is first of all, it's a really fun experience, and you you already get the whole broadcasting thing. But secondly, when people read, when people listen to it, they're getting to hear the inflections as you meant them to be, and that's a really important thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know I I joke that uh, I do speak several languages, and I have, have an accent in all of them. So oh I'm kind gosh. of a Martian, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and that's fine. And yep. you know, it, it it gives flavor to to things. Sure. Yep. It's good. Uh, so so obviously, uh, there is also uh, different ways for people to uh, to engage with you because uh, uh, the book is is often. Um, and and I don't know whether it is the case for you too. Uh, in in reality, a tool. For, right. for for being known uh, and and so what is your positioning <laughs> so i'm the positioning person that is my positioning there okay. aren't a lot there are very few companies that focus on positioning uh -huh. there are a couple of them but my framework is the the most rigorous and and i think the most successful i that's why the book is called get to aha because i've had so many clients say to me at the end of our of our second workshop aha that's who we are. That's how we need to talk about ourselves. It's it's uh it's like magic almost. So. And uh, and and so when uh, when uh, corporations or startups uh, engage you professionally, uh, that is the service that you deliver to them to uh, to analyze and to understand what their positioning should be. Exactly. And then then the follow on to that, which is part of our engagement, is to develop what I call a message architecture. And you started this conversation, David, with a, a note about how important it is to get your messaging right. And that is exactly what we what we do with once you know what your positioning statement is, then you build a message architecture around it. And that message architecture has a whole bunch of things in it. it it's divided into two pieces. The first half is a what I call the rational part. So that has things like your, your, your purpose statement, your value proposition, your mission statement, your, uh, your positioning statement, of course, a number of key messages, your elevator story. Those are all the rational side of your positioning. And then we also take clients through a methodology that enables them to come up with the emotional side of their of their identity and that's very important because people don't buy things even in the business in, even in the b2b world they do not buy things unless there's some kind of an emotional attachment so we spend a lot of time figuring out how to how to bring that emotional attachment to the surface express it and then make it be, be part of your identity so that that's that whole stuff uh that is the message architecture deliverable and the positioning from the from the the assignments we do and then we're starting to do activations of that and i, I mentioned to you that the, my second book is going to be called activating aha and that is how you take this message architecture and actually make it come to life inside of your company and that the second book is i hope going to be out in about a year and uh, and um if i search for it on amazon all kinds of it. other stuff uh, come come out like <laughs> aha sparkling water not the book yet. It's, not the book yet. No, not, not yet. Not you, yet. you, you, you are not, not there yet. All right. I have to try that. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. 
Uh, but I did find uh, uh, your your podcast, uh, which uh, our listeners can uh, subscribe oh, yes. to, Marketing yep. Over Ice. Uh, and, uh, and so you have uh, people in your field, marketing leaders and practitioners, having a conversation with you uh, about your kind of stuff. Exactly. But just I see also uh, recipes for drinks. I like oh, yeah. that. Well, it's marketing over ice, so there's always a cocktail involved, and that cocktail is uh, is the one of the guests of my guests choosing. So whatever their cocktail of choice is, we make it, and that's what we and we share a drink and we have a, a very casual conversation about marketing. It's a lot of I'm, fun. I'm 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 a, I'm a very um, uh, uh, guilt ridden carnivore okay and and i and i and i realized that uh, probably i'm not gonna grow out of it even though i hope i will be able to start eating cultivated meat rather than uh, than uh, slaughtered animals but i'm sure glad that alcohol is not gonna be uh, uh sentient anytime no, I... soon so so we will be able to keep drinking our our martinis and our cocktails uh and, and, and I'm lucky enough that I am not uh, uh, apparently uh, a, um, uh, a person, uh, my, my, my biochemistry is such that I, I don't become a, an alcoholic. Uh, I, I, sometimes I realize that I am drinking too much and then I just stop and, and, and I can, right? That's great. So it can uh, be a very dangerous situation, but no, we, we try to. Try not to get into the danger zone on marketing over ice. <laughs> it's just one cocktail. And usually the guest is talking so much that they don't even drink at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so Emiliano confirms he just subscribed to your uh, podcast. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not even paying him, right? So there you go. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so so um, the... Apple of today, many questions around it. Obviously, a huge financial success. Right. Um, a very interesting set of challenges to navigate quite successfully. Uh, you know, um, the logistics complexity of a product line that uh, is always yeah. uh, either too simp simple too few choices or too many choices, uh, the ability to, to, to produce high quality uh, and, and managing the expectations of, of the fan base. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, also undeniably, um, somewhat of a big brother now, where, where uh, you <laughs> have, the, have, you know, it, <laughs> When, when, when Apple was running the first advertising campaigns, uh, uh, um, you know, after Steve came back uh, with the silhouettes of people to the yeah. crazy ones, it was still fairly um, believable to play the role of, a, of the rebel. Yes, absolutely it was. That was but, the key to success. Apple is still a little bit pretending to be the rebel at 1.5 trillion dollars of market cap and and hundreds of millions of users and yeah. and and hundreds of countries you know relationships with all kinds of regulators and, and whatever else 
it 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 is the positioning is not reflecting reality. Yeah, I uh, well, I think, as I said, I think that Tim Cook is an amazing steward because he was able to create that kind of value out of the assets that he was left with, which is pretty darned amazing, I have to say. Uh, mm. But but basically, Apple's lost sight of who its tribe is, right? It's almost like if I if I were working with Apple today, which I am not, um, I think it would be really fun to do a big campaign around the idea that the rebels won. The rebels won. And if the rebels can win in this scenario, the rebels can win in any scenario. That's uh, very nice. It would be really a fun, a fun campaign because that's what it was all about early on was the rebels. And now Apple is so big and so powerful. Um, and, but, and, and I've uh, left, Emiliano says, because there is no more need of geniuses at Apple. And he was the last uh, uh, to represent the Jobs legacy. Yeah. And I think there also with Johnny Ive, there was an incredible... Um, yin and yang with Steve Jobs. There was a, a relationship there and a, a thing that worked really, really well that just wasn't the same kind of situation with Tim Cook. And Tim Cook is a very different person. He wasn't the same visionary that, that Steve was. So, but I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot you could do with Apple with, with the great success they've had. Um, and, but it, you know, they're so successful. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to say they did something wrong. <laughs> they, you know, um, um, Emiliano is asking a very provocative uh, uh, question. Um, Apple is pushing diversity to the extreme under the Cook era. Is this sustainable? Is there such a thing as, as too much inclusiveness, too much diversity? Uh, certainly, I'm not a PC person, and I have little problem to say that that the way it is played in 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 America today, you cannot just laugh sometimes at at the um, the, the 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 insistence and and the the the, the, the fanaticism around uh, this uh, the, the the movement of of right. recognizing every minority including every uh, uh, diverse parameter that we can find. Um, mm -hmm. And and of course, this is dangerous territory because yeah. even as I am saying the sentences, I am wondering if 10 years from now, somebody will find something that is despicable about what I am saying today. And, and I will recognize it as such. And, and I will be censored because of what I'm saying today in 2020. Now, 20, 30 years ago, it was possible to make mistakes. How can we afford to make mistakes and to learn from them if our insistence in perfection and our inclusiveness of every point of view makes mistakes un unforgivable? Well, I think I think people always always make mistakes, but I, but I think if if you look at at Apple, the question was originally about Apple, and I feel like, as I said early on, Apple was a company that embraced diversity without it ever being a, a social trend. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. Steve was the most accepting of diversity that I, of anyone that I have ever worked with, and he's just as I said, it, if you could do the job, that was that was the gate. Could you do the job? Right and do and add value to him. Not not nothing about your who you were in any way. So, I think just going back to that 
as a as a Silicon Valley here would be a really great thing because we have not done that. <laughs> um, so, but you know, people do make mistakes. But I I I you know, having lived through the Vietnam War because uh, because I, that is my age bracket, um, I saw people coming back from Vietnam, even my own relatives, cousins, and such. Uh, just broken people because of the way they were treated when they came back. And there was an uprising about that. You all, we all know about all the Vietnam War, you know, stuff that went on. Well, one of the great outcomes of all of that was that now our service people are regarded with great honor, no matter where they are. They get to board airplanes first. We thank them for their service all the time. It, we made a very big social change with that because of what happened and because of the protests and because people stood up and said something and did something. And I think we're, we're at that inflection point with race. I think we are going to start to see some real positive changes going forward as a result of this. So I'm looking forward to that and hope that it, that it actually turns out that way. But America is a tough country because we are, we are a diverse people um, and people like their tribes. Unfortunately, <laughs> a wonderful book uh, that tells the story uh, of the personal computer intertwined with the 60s yeah. counterculture uh, is what the Dormouse said. Uh, and, uh, and it is really a revealing uh, tale of uh, the rebelliousness that uh, gave birth uh, to machines that were meant to represent individual freedom. Yes, exactly. That's right. And and uh, that is why, for those who are aware of this, these roots, uh, the ironclad control that our machines now have over our ability to tell them what we want to do is uh, at least a letdown, if not even a betrayal. And uh, and um, we must nurture uh, the ability to to disobey the ability to break rules the ability to um do the unexpected in in today's uh, environment uh, too many times uh, the the computers the phones uh, believe that they know all the time what is right and what is wrong and, uh, and, and as we are building more and more sophisticated machines and environments, as those machines and environments control more and more of the facets of our lives, that starting point and that belief is just unacceptable. So I don't know what the solution is going to be and where it is going to come from, but um, uh, the, the, the starting point needs a new rebel, uh, the way that... Uh, Steve uh, was and uh, what he achieved uh, with wonderful people around him like you uh, and and uh, that is uh, what I would drink to if I had a <laughs> if I had a cocktail it. rather than my green tea here <laughs> well it, you know it would be we do need a new rebel for sure and I think that Mark Zuckerberg was it for a while but I think that has uh, that ship has sailed so to speak uh, well or, or or Larry and Sergey right uh, we all uh, loved uh, Google, yes. and now we are looking at it verily, and then we say, um, "Really? Yeah. Are we sure?" Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, and and I'm a, I'm a big uh, uh, believer in Bitcoin and blockchain, and and uh, the the measure of 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 what a, a large 
revolution it can represent is the the fear that it provokes in the incumbents mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and how regulators are trying to keep it at bay without succeeding yeah. um, only potentially slowing down its uh, its uh, implications um uh, george hotz let me google george hotz uh, um emiliano uh, says george hot oh yeah 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 um, i don't know george is, yeah 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 i know him uh, he is uh, a wonderful um, uh, hacker mm. uh, that uh, uh, originally cracked um, maybe the playstation maybe even the iphone maybe he was the first to crack the iphone oh. Um, uh, to to uh, free it from the lock uh, in of uh, of the uh, Apple Store, uh, the, yeah. the iPhone App Store, and and now he is running uh, an open source uh, um, uh, self driving ah. car company. Okay, uh, ex iPhone yeah. hacker sued by Sony, comma AI president. It's my one true dream to have one million followers. All right, let's have one more. <laughs> he might get a few more from this podcast. <laughs> uh, and 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 he's uh, he's great. Uh, he he really looks at uh, code as a as a tool of liberation, and and comma.ai, uh, which is uh, his company, is building a, a, a retrofit uh, for ah. uh, cars that can make the cars self-driving cars even if originally they were not now not all the cars are able to do that because they need uh, to be um, uh, drive by wire so right. you need to be able to interface uh, them with uh, with the plug-in that they are producing uh, but certainly that is going to be a big battle uh, autonomous machines whether it's cars or not it doesn't matter what they are but autonomous machines are they going to belong uh, to a world of uh, tight and definitive control where we just give ourselves over to them literally as, right. as our lives will depend on the performance and 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 uh, are they gonna bring us to the police station because they believe we are a criminal and they right. receive the notice and they obey that or are we gonna be able to say to the car sorry you are not the judge. You are not the executioner. Just bring me where I told you to bring me. Right. <laughs> Who are they going to obey, right? So that is going to be a big battle. And uh, rebelliousness in that is going to be, I think, fundamentally uh, yeah. important. Yeah, we do need some new rebels in that arena. But I'll tell you, I flew here with my husband in this little tiny airplane that I showed everybody. Uh, and we have an autopilot in that airplane. And we were on autopilot most of the way. And on part of the way, we got into an area where there was great lift, you know, lots and lots of lift. Right, right. So it rose the airplane up like this, and the airplane corrected very abruptly and then went back way down and then it corrected. And so my husband turns off the autopilot and takes, takes control. So we're not like doing this business. Um, so I think in the aviation world, anyway, autopilots have been around for a long time, and humans still have control over taking action but not in some of the airlines not in some of the airbuses in particular well uh, there are many many things and and uh, you know neither you are i mean i know i i know little about it uh, and 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 we could call your 
husband over and he would have <laughs> a lot to say about it. But um, certainly private aviation wasn't able to liberate itself from the bureaucracy because yeah. any mistake when you it's pilot very, a plane is deadly. deadly. Right, exactly. Right? And I launched plane, David. I don't know if you saw that in my bio, but I launched a new jet called the Eclipse 500, which essentially defined the very light jet category. It has since gone bankrupt because that's what happens to all, <laughs> all pioneers who start categories. But it was a great run for about 12 years. And, uh, wow. and, and yeah, so, it's, it's so the, the next one, the next one, the next opportunity is going to be uh, for um, drones that fly with people inside yep. and and then there will be a, a very very delicate balance uh, between just giving yourself over you tell the destination on your smartphone and that's it right on one ex one hand on the other hand you 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 prove on blockchain that you have a license and then the drone will allow you to do something if it has controls that that allow right. you to fly it uh, and in the middle, you know, whatever else can be found as as uh, positions of uh, or positionings that allow uh, uh, the, those companies that uh, embody them to 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 survive and to sustain. It's going to be very interesting. And, oh, and Steve very... Jobs, of course, doesn't want them. Steve says, "I don't want self-driving heavy things to over my head." Uh, yep. And that is why he's burying them underground with a boring company. Many, many interesting things. Yeah, you mean Elon Musk? Elon Musk is that? Who yeah, you mean? that's what yeah. I meant, obviously. But Steve, he is, he is Steve, new Steve Jobs, Jobs type. Yes. Yeah, he, he's definitely a Steve Jobs type. Yes. So, uh, Andy, this was a, a very, very fun conversation what fun. Uh, between the, between almost the three of us, because Emiliano contributed yes. with a lot of uh, cool, cool questions very and remarks. Uh, thank you, Emiliano, and thank you very much, Andy. Uh, looking forward to uh, to uh, seeing your next book. Uh, and in the meantime, your your podcast uh, will be will be fun to listen to as well. Thank you so much, David. It was a real pleasure to be with you today. So uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for following uh, searching for the question uh, live uh, today with uh, our guest uh, Andy uh, Cunningham. Uh, please uh, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, if you speak Italian, you can also go to davidorban.com slash YouTube Italiano uh, and uh, listen to the equivalent, which is qual è la domanda? What is the question? Because searching for the question would have ended up to be too long in, in Italian. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, um, on patreon.com slash davidorban, uh, you can decide to become uh, a supporter, a patron. Actually, uh, we have uh, four different tiers, fan, supporter, sponsor, and benefactor. So uh, you can decide what is the right level. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the next uh, episode uh, and uh, having uh, all of you here with us uh, in uh, these fun conversations. Mm -hmm.